I hope you're switched on, even if I'm not. Right, there we go. Uh, very good. Let's begin by reading some scripture, and then we'll get into a few things after that. John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. John 8, 31 to 36. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Father, this morning we pray, speak to our hearts. Why don't we just take our hands and place them on our hearts now and say together, Lord, speak to my heart. Lord, speak to my heart. Why don't we put our hands on our heads and say, Lord, change my thinking. Lord, change my thinking. Lord, change us and change our lives to be more like Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before I get into this message this morning, I have to tell you there is a health warning attached to this particular sermon. Because when Jesus spoke out these words, things happened. First of all, people got offended or upset with him. Then they started arguing with him. And then they started throwing things at him. Now, when I say there's a health warning, I'm not talking about your health. I'm talking about mine this morning. There is a health warning. Please don't throw things at me, even if you don't like the sermon. That's the basic message. You can make your reactions as unto the Lord. But this is a kind of message which is going to get something stirred up inside of us. Now, in the 1990s, there was a guy who wrote a play that was later made into a film, and it was called Six Degrees of Separation. And the idea behind this play was that although there are currently 6.6 billion people in the world, we are only about six connections away from everybody else. Doesn't that seem remarkable to you? Over six billion, getting on for seven billion, and yet you are only six connections away from any of those. Now, how does that work out? Well, nobody was really sure, but recently, Microsoft Corporation, about a year or two ago, they decided to put this to the test mathematically. And because they had all of this information from the internet about how people connect with each other, they were able to produce a huge sample of people's connections with each other. And I think Facebook have also done something like this. And it turns out that the guy who wrote the play is just about right. Somewhere between five and seven times is the average number of connections anybody needs to get in touch with anybody else anywhere in the world. Unless you're Barack Obama, because he has one million followers on Facebook. So he's a bit quicker than that, but the rest of us have to go six or seven times. So it's, it's, it was somewhere between six and seven. So by about seven times, the whole world is yours. Does that seem amazing? Just seven connections. Now, this morning, I'm not offering you seven, not six, not five, not even four, but just three. Right now, where you sit, you are just three connections away from a total change in your life from a total transformation of everything that you are. Just three connections or three steps away. And that's all to do with three truths. So I've called the title of this message, Three Truths to Freedom. And this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage here. He has an end in mind. And he uses the word free to tell us that he is directing us towards an incredible experience and quality and endpoint in our lives, which is to be free or to have freedom.
Let's, oh, somebody wants to be free. Well, that's good. Okay. That's excellent. Now, before we get into what those three truths are, I want to look at two words by way of introduction. It's important that we understand two words here so that we know what Jesus is talking about. Because the way Jesus used these words, uses these words needs to be understood. Otherwise, we won't really get it when we get to the three truths. So the first word I want to look at here is the word free. It's used in various ways in four times in this passage. And the first time it's used, it's a verb or a doing word. And it means literally to free someone or to unchain someone, unbind someone, to release them. And in the New Testament of the Bible, it's, it's used to mean spiritual and moral freedom. In other words, to make someone spiritually free so they can really know God and morally free so they can choose to do the right, good, and best things in life. That's what this freedom is according to the Bible. And that's the way Jesus is using it here. It's also used in the New Testament to mean to be free from religious rules and regulations. And that is also part of how we want to understand this word today. Now, I want to ask you, does anybody here want to be free in this sense, that you are free to know and experience who God is and free to choose to do the right thing in life? time after time after time after time. Does anybody want to be free from bad choices, bad moods, bad attitude? Well, that's great because in saying that, you've recognized something essential. See, true freedom in God's eyes is not something that happens on the outside of us. It's something that happens inside of us. And lots of people are very concerned about how free we may or may not be on the outside. Now, there are plenty of ways where our freedoms can appear to be taken away by various oppressive regimes or governments or others and their behaviors and actions. But actually, it's how free we are on the inside that is the most important of all without condoning any of those other things. Now, true freedom is more... than just being able to buy what you want at the shops. It's more than some of the legislation and rules that people are trying to put out today. It's more than being let off your taxes for a year. True freedom is being so free inside, you don't have to react badly when somebody treats you badly. True freedom is not having to take offense. True freedom is, well, I was listening to the testimony or reading the testimony of a journalist in China who's been locked up under the regime of the present uh, Chinese leader because he wants to bring about change in the country. And he said the worst part of what they did to him wasn't the beatings and wasn't the, the physical um, pressure they put him under, and they did, he said it was being put on his own in solitary confinement. Now, here's something remarkable. Over the centuries, Christians have been in prison for their beliefs and their faith. And they write about those experiences in ways that nobody else writes about it. Because there in the prison cell, they are not on their own, even when they're in solitary confinement. He said, I just sat there all day with nothing to do. And that's a terrible thing to do to a man. But you see, over the centuries, as Christians have written about their experience of imprisonment, the presence and power of heaven has been in the cell with them. Those believers have met with God. They've been touched by his Holy Spirit. They've been able to pray and worship and intercede and connect with God. Even though they're locked in by prison walls, inside, they're freer than the guards who look after them. Inside, they're in a better situation than many people on the outside. That's the power of true freedom on the inside for those who believe in Jesus. And it's in this way that Jesus is using the word free. He's not talking about throwing up the Romans who happened to be running their country in that day. 
he's talking to them about getting free inside. And the second word to look at is the word truth. And it's important to understand how Jesus means us to understand the word truth. Now today, there are generally two ways that people understand the word truth. The first one is facts. The sun is 93 million miles away. London is the capital of England. That kind of information or fact, people would say, well, that is the truth. There's another way that people understand the word truth, and it's to do with feeling. More recently, a whole concept, an idea has risen up in this part of the world that if I feel something, my feelings are true, therefore, what I feel is true. Therefore, it must be true whether the facts bear me out or not. Now, you'll come across that in politics recently. Without mentioning any names or any countries, there was recently a president who was elected, and a lot of people came to this president's inauguration. And the newspaper said it wasn't as well attended as the last president. Well, the president didn't like what the newspapers said. The newspapers had their people out there counting and doing whatever they did to, to count, to, to, to estimate the number of people there. He said, I feel there were more people there. And so there were. And don't you tell me there were less. Because I feel it, it's true. And if I say it's true and I feel it's true, then it is true. And I don't care what you've measured and what you've said. I say it's true, therefore it is true. Because I feel it's true. That's the other way people are starting to handle this word truth as something their feelings tell them. Now, the good news is Jesus doesn't mean truth in either of those ways. When Jesus and the Bible use the word truth, it's used in a very different way. Now, it does touch on those other areas, but it's used in a greater, more powerful way. In the Bible, truth is to do with relationships. How true are you to that person? How true are you? How faithful and loyal and connected and in touch and in tune are you with that other person? How well do you behave because you know that person? That's truth. Truth is the way you live. It's the things you do. It's the heart you carry all to do with relationship. Now... Jesus is talking about truth in terms of knowing God. He's talking about having a true relationship with God that transforms our life. That's the kind of truth he's talking about. Now, there are things you can measure with that, and there are things you can feel with that. But this is deeper and greater and higher and stronger, and truer than any of those other kinds of truths that people seem to imagine that word to mean these days. Now, talking like that got Jesus into trouble. So here we go. Three truths to freedom. I'll see how much trouble this gets me into. Are you ready for this? Okay, here we go. The first truth, truth number one, my opinion isn't what matters. Oh, dear. I told you this was going to be challenging. My opinion doesn't or isn't what matters. Now, I've noticed on the Internet, when I go online to find out what's wrong with somebody's car, I go on these sort of discussion forums. And when I get there, people have abbreviations there, just like they do on their text messages. And here's one I come across. I-M-H-O. I-M-H-O. Does anybody know what that stands for? Thank you. All the people, and just for the sake of the tape, all the people under 31 here are now answering very quickly. In my humble opinion. And of course you know when people put that, there is, it's anything but humble. In my humble opinion, this is your gearbox. Or in my humble opinion, you've been told some porkies by the garage. That's the sort of thing they put on there. In my humble opinion. 
To people today, their opinion really matters. And when you go online, you find people are incredibly opinionated, much more so than if they're meeting people face-to-face. It's one good reason why you should severely limit your amount of contact with these kind of discussions and internet stuff in general. It's very kind of in-your-face opinion. Listen, I want to say to you, my opinion, your opinion, our opinion does not matter. Now, why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you say or what I say. It's what God says. So I want to introduce a new um, abbreviation into our thinking this morning that we can use with each other in text messages and on the internet if you ever go on there. It's WGWS. Wugwas. Wugwas. And Wugwas says what God's word says. That's my counter to Imho. I'm going to get rid of Imho and replace it with Wugwas. This is my single-handed movement against Microsoft, Facebook, and all the rest of them this morning. Right. Now, truth comes from God and not from human opinion. A pastor I know some years ago, he, he was telling me he had a, an incredibly famous um, Bible teacher to stay in his house. Many of you might know that, I won't say it, but it, it was just somebody very, very well-known, somebody well-known for the depth and quality of his life and teaching and ministry and so on. And this guy was staying with him in his house. And the next morning, he received him one evening, the next morning, and he, he, was, he said to him, oh, did you see in the papers this morning, before he finished, the guy cut him off and said, I don't have time to read the paper, I only have time for God's word. Now, this guy himself is a pastor of quite some standing. He said, I felt about this small. You know, he just reduced me to, to, to a jelly. I don't have time for the newspapers. I only have time for God's word. Well, it didn't do him any harm. He had this incredible ministry. And the papers may put us in touch with a lot of imhos. Some of it might be news. Some of it might not be such good news. But at the end of the day, Truth comes from God and out of his word, not from human intellect or understanding or opinion. Jesus says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. Where do we find the truth? In Jesus' teaching. Where do we find that? In the Bible. Later in John's gospel, in chapter 17, verse 17, He's praying for his disciples, and he says, sanctify or make them holy or set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word will bring people into this incredible relationship of freedom and release with you, Lord. That's how you get to know God. That's how you get to be really free on the inside. That's how you get to get the best life of all, when you are connected with God, and that true relationship comes about when you understand it through the words God has given us in the Bible and through the teaching of Jesus that we find there especially. Now, that may not bother you too much, but it upsets a lot of people. See, most people do not want to be told to read a 2,000-year-old book rather than trust in Imho. They think their own opinion is better than a book that's a bit dusty and a bit old-fashioned that sits on their bookshelf and never gets read if they've got one. Have you ever tried challenging somebody's opinion when they passionately hold it? The Victorians used to have rules at the dinner table. There were three subjects you couldn't talk about, and religion was one of them. Politics and sex were the other two. You couldn't mention any of those subjects at the dinner table. They were bound to start an argument. Now, we grew up in a very peaceful house where we never had that kind of discussion, but some people I understand, some of you are laughing, some people I understand have very passionate political debates around the dinner table or other kind of debates. Um, we are, actually, we are that kind of house. There's plenty of opinion out there. But in the end, it's not what my opinion says or your opinion says that matters. And that offends people because people love their opinions. They like to think they're right. They like to think that all they've grown up with over time and in life has served them well. They've understood it, interpreted it quite correctly, and that's led to an opinion which they feel is right. Sorry. 
You're not right, even though you'd like to be right. Listen, there are two ways to be right. You can be right about the facts, or you can be the right kind of person. Which one would you like to be in an argument? Which one would you like to have an argument with? There's a question. So, if this is going to work, Jesus says two things have to be operating in our lives. First of all, you have to be a disciple, a disciplined, committed follower. You cannot be dippy. Now, by that I mean you can't dip in and out of the Christian life. You can't dip your hand in and take bits and say, I like this bit of Jesus being nice and sweet to people. I like this bit of Jesus um, doing unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. I don't like this bit of Jesus where he says, I've got to put him first or live for his kingdom or not live for material things and so on. Cannot be dippy. You can't dip your fingers in and pick and choose. A disciple is fully committed to everything for the rest of their life. I wonder how many disciples we have here today. Have a think. Because that's the normal word that's used of a Christian in the New Testament. And that's what you have to be for this to work. The second thing is, Jesus says you have to hold fast to his teaching. Not just know it. You've actually got to hold fast. That word hold fast, actually in the original language, it means to live in, to dwell in, to, to buy a house on that estate, to buy a house on that street, to, to settle down there and make your home there. Is Jesus teaching? Is God's word, the Bible, our home? Or is it something we just look up occasionally when we've got some fault in the machinery and we want to find out how to solve it? Those are the challenges. But if... if We've met both of those conditions. Jesus says, you will know this incredible truth that will lead you to freedom. So it's my opinion versus what he said. That's the first truth. So why don't you say that with me? The first truth, my opinion isn't what matters. Will you say that with me? My opinion isn't what matters. Now, please say it to the person next to you, especially if you're married to them. My opinion isn't what matters. Jane is making Adam practice lots before they get married here. Good idea, Jane. All right, truth number two. Now, if the last one made you feel a bit uncomfortable, I promise you this one is going to make you feel even more uncomfortable. So please sit up straight in your seats and don't squirm for this one because are you ready for this? Truth number two. These are hard truths for the human race. It's worse than I want to admit. It's worse than I want to admit. Yes, let's say it together again. It's worse than I want to to admit. Now, have you ever damaged the car? Because if you have, you've probably had this feeling come over you, especially when you get out and look. You, you, you damage the car, you reverse, or you, you somehow that you didn't see that post there, and it always sounds terrible inside the car, doesn't it? It's sort of scrunching and scr No, some of you have never done this, I know, but one or two might have done. I have. The first time we came to Newcastle, I caught the passenger door of our car on a big bollard somewhere near the Freeman Hospital. And, and you know what it is when you catch the car on that bollard? You try to drive it off the bollard, and you somehow drive it on more, and you're trying to get the car free, and, and the scraping gets worse. You're, oh, I was trying to make it better. I'm trying to get free from this. And you're just stuck. On, you, usually, you have to steer the other way than you think you have to steer to get off the bollard. Anyway, I didn't. So I scratched it, scraped it, and then by trying to get off it, I dented it. Oh, dear. So you know what happens in those moments. The husband looks at the wife, the wife looks at the husband, and you're thinking, this is going to cost us money. I mean, we either pay for this and don't tell the insurance company because it's just our damage, or it's so expensive and we get them to pay for it, then we're paying for the excess and we're paying on increased premiums for years to come. So you can't really get out of it. So you take the car in to have it estimated in the body shop, and your spouse says to you, how much did the car cost then? A few hundred quid. Hoping you won't be asked to say exactly how many hundred quid it's going to cost. 
How much is a few hundred? Well, you know, just, just a few hundred. Yes, but how many is a few hundred? Well, a bit more than I was hoping for. And you're getting along to this, it's worse than I want to admit. Uh, 200, 300, 752. What? Well, you know, just, just over the 500, maybe a bit more than that. I mean, however it is. Actually, this happened out here, but it was the other way around. It was Sally's car. And I took it in. I mean, Sally's very good about this sort of thing. She's very happy to admit it. But um, it was even more than 752 pounds, well, the damage we did on a bollard out here. That's why we've still got the dent in the door of the car, you'll notice, by the way. Um, it's worse than I care to admit. Now, that transmits itself through life. So many situations, we hope the damage or the bill isn't that bad. And when it is, we try to gloss over it in some way, either with our boss at work or with our spouse or our family member or with ourselves and especially with God. Jesus says this in the passage. He said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, we said this word freedom is used in the passage four times. It's used both as a doing word, a verb, and it's also used as a noun. Now, the noun for this is a free man, a person who has legally obtained their freedom. There's a quaint old English uh, concept of a freeman. I don't know if you've ever come across it. You can become a freeman of the city of Newcastle. Where we were in Oxford, if you were a freeman of the city, I don't think you have to pay much in the way of council tax, and you've got to graze your horses or cattle on the, on the green that was part of the Oxford Council um, land. I mean, very useful that, isn't it, to graze your horses and cattle? I'm sure everybody really wants land to graze their horses and cattle on. Um, perhaps free parking in the town centre would be a better option because it's so expensive. But anyway, you get to be a free man. And Jesus says you're either a free man or a slave. There is no in-between. Well, nobody wants to be a slave. I mean, it's not a very nice thing to be thought of or treated like or called. So when Jesus says to these guys here, Guys, I've got some really good news for you. Here's truth number two. You are slaves. That was such an insult to those people. They're looking around and saying, well, we're in the Roman Empire, and I'm not a slave, and he's not a slave. So how can you say we're a slave? Well, that might have been a fact that they weren't slaves of the empire, but the greater relational truth with how they stand with God is you are slaves. But we're Jewish people. We've never been anybody's slave. God is our God. You are slaves. Well, we don't like being called slaves. How dare you call us slaves? We're free people. You are not as free as you thought you were. It's worse than you care to admit. It's worse than you want to admit. You are slaves to religion, slaves to your old nature, slaves to the way you've been brought up. You are not yet free, even though you'd like to think you are and you would want to be. Can you hear and accept that is the challenge he brings to them. Are you free on the inside? Are you free not to treat the way others, the way they treat you? Are you free from pain? Are you free from regrets? Are you free from the past? Are you free from the hurts and the letdowns and the, and the betrayals that other people have done to you? Or are you still carrying those things? Well, I'd like to think I was, but are you really? See, I have had to say over the years, it's been a disappointment and a challenge to me to constantly understand that it's not as good as I'd like it to be, that it's actually worse. Now, at one point, I thought I'd gone through layers of forgiveness to one of my parents, happened to be my mother. And I thought I had forgiven her for stuff that happened to me, my, some of my earliest memories. It was a difficult childhood. So one day I'm sitting in a meeting, and the Spirit of God is moving powerfully in this meeting. I'm talking really seriously powerfully. And at a certain point, 10,000 people all simultaneously slide out of the, I'm, I'm serious, nobody asks for this, the whole auditorium slides out of their chairs onto the floor and they start crying. I mean, if you think my preaching's bad, just imagine being there. <laughs> and they're all on the floor crying. 
And I'm not. I'm sitting in my chair. And I'm looking at them all, and nothing has touched me at all. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? Has God passed me by? And at that moment, I'm saying, Lord, what's the matter? This overwhelming feeling comes onto me, and I see in a picture the very earliest memory that I have. Now, I won't go into it now because it's quite distressing, but actually, my mother beat me with a steel rod. That's what happened in that, and I was two years old. It's one of the earliest memories I have. And the pain of that incident came back to me so vividly, it was like I was living it all over again. So I'm in my 50s, but it's like I'm two and a quarter or two and a half, two and three quarters, whatever it was. And I am in desperate straits, and suddenly I'm flatter on the floor and crying more than anybody else now. And they all stop crying, and I'm still going. (laughs) See, I thought I dealt with it, but it was still alive and active at a certain level deep down in my life. And I had to come to the place, say, God, what do I do here? I thought I'd forgiven my mother for this. And I felt the Lord say to me, well, you've got some more forgiving to do. So I went through a whole process of forgiving. And I thought, this isn't what the preacher was talking about. I'm doing the wrong kind of ministry here. And the Holy Spirit said to me, just go with it. God knows. It's all right. So I went with it. And we come out of that meeting, and everybody meets you. Hey, great meeting, wasn't it? God was in me. Actually, it was a terrible meeting. I felt so in distress. I felt so challenged. I felt so stirred up and hurt by this past memory. I, could, I couldn't enjoy anything. I just wanted to get back to the hotel and sit on my own. Next day, hey, great meeting yesterday, wasn't it? I was still in incredible personal distress. See, it was worse than I thought. The end of the story is, two months later, when I got back to this country, my mother had a heart attack and was in hospital. She had never, ever mentioned any of the terrible things that went on in our house, and there were plenty of them. That that was just the beginning of all kinds of stuff. And she said to me, I've never mentioned any of these things that happened between us when you were young, but I feel so bad about it. Can you ever forgive me? And I said, of course I can. You're already forgiven. And she said to me, well, then God must have kept your heart soft towards me. Now, my mother's not a believer, you understand. But God must have done this to you. How else could you say that to me? Well, you're right. For once, your opinion's right, (laughs) mum. Your opinion's in line with God. I mean, everybody knows their mother's opinion is the one they argue with the most, probably. Um, But... She gave glory to God. Now, because I went through that process a couple of months earlier, I was out of place. But because I went through that process, I believe it released something in the spirit for her to go through her process. All those years I wanted an apology and never got one. But when I dealt with my end of it, and it was worse than I thought, it went deeper than I thought, it hurt more than I thought, I was more upset and stirred up and maybe even unforgiving and bitter. I don't know about it than I thought. Actually, it released something, not just in me, but in her as well. And I got the apology I always wanted. By that time, I'd given up any hope of ever getting. See, it matters that we understand this. It matters that it's worse than we care to admit There's all kinds of stuff going on inside us that stops us from being free. Now, Jesus says the problem is you are not free because of something called sin. Now, this is the point where you all need to get out and leave, okay? Because this is the most unpopular word the church has in its vocabulary today, apart from hell. So let's just give us a little graphical understanding of what sin is and what it does to us. Because this is key to understanding how we end up as slaves rather than free people. So let's just going to set something up here for us. 
I've got some willing volunteers here to help us understand what Jesus is saying about being slaves to sin here. Here we go. I'm the devil. I don't really believe in the devil and I don't feel he exists. <laughs> What's this? This is good fun. This feels nice. <laughs> Sin. Neither. It doesn't really affect me. I don't feel it. I keep doing it because it feels good. I'm a bit worried by the enthusiasm that Stu has for playing the devil here. See, as we go through life, we can deny these things. But actually, we end up getting caught up in the very thing we say doesn't exist. Thank you very much, guys. Paul, you can stay there if you want. I better let you get free from that sin. Now, who wants to come to church to hear a message that we're all slaves and caught up with sin? Nobody would come to church to feel better. But, you know, that's the message Jesus gave his disciples, his followers. He said to them, if we get caught up with sin, we become its slave. We're not as free as we'd like to say we are or believe we are or think we are or claim we are or give that kind of impression to other people. There's a few tests you can do on yourself to see how free you really are. Would you like to know one or two of them? Now, here's a couple. Next time you go to the department store and you see the escalators, how much freedom do you have to run up the down escalator? Would you dare do it? <laughs> I mean, what will people think? I've only been stopped by security once doing it. <laughs> I mean, are you really that afraid to embarrass your children or your grandchildren that in front of everybody you're willing to take a run up the wrong escalator? I'll show you how free you are. Because, you see, if you can't do that, you'll probably come to church and keep your arms down by your side. What will everybody think about me if I do this? And, well, I really want to come and kneel at the front, but I, I can't. See, we like to think we're free, but we're probably a whole lot less free than we think we are. When people's opinion really matters to us and it puts us off doing what we could do, what we know we should do, and what we ought to do. It's a lot worse than I care to admit. And most of the time, that's how it is with the problems and the issues and the sin we carry in our lives. Now, you learn after many years that when people come and tell you, Pastor, I've got a problem in my life, however much they tell you, there's probably some more. And you may need to get them back a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth time to really get to the bottom of it. And we're not after anybody here. But generally, it's really hard for us as people to admit how deep this thing goes. But when we can admit it, it sets us free. So that's the second truth there. It's worse than I want to admit. Now, the truth number three is this. I need help. Not me personally, all of us, you know. So I need help. Now... Jesus says this in the passage, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That means really, truly, properly, fully free. Now, in a lot of people's eyes, saying you need help makes you some kind of sad, inadequate person. And it's better not to admit you need help and to try and keep going without any help. You know how it is. You come home from Ikea, like the Bowies have done recently, and you have all those boxes, and your wife says to you, do you want to look at the... I know what I'm doing here, but the instructions... Never mind about the instructions. It's obviously quite easy here, and you just start without the instructions. <laughs> I'm an engineer by background. I know what I'm doing. I could write these instructions. I don't need you to tell me. Well, I think you should look at the instructions. Don't you tell me about the instructions. I'm not some sad person. I, I, I can do this. Well, maybe you're driving. And you get to that place where you think you should be. 
And then the debate comes in the car. Shall we ask someone for help with the directions? I've got this. And you just keep driving around the streets. But it doesn't seem to be able to just drive faster around the streets and drive around more streets then. I mean, why, why ask for instructions when you can drive around all day? I mean, it's the, our willingness to accept help, even on small things, is really challenging for us as people. It somehow says we're inadequate and people will look down on us. I had this friend years back, and he was the kind of guy that knew how to do everything. Not a humble sort of chap like me. And, um, well, actually, he, he was even more like me than I'm like me. So he, he knew how to do everything, just one up from me. So one day, we're trying to make a good impression. Now, with us were two young ladies. One of them was Sally, and another was Sally's friend. And I think another, uh, anyway, we're trying to make a good impression on these two young ladies. So this guy, he's gone and bought all new clothes, new smart shoes, new trousers, jumper, really looking smart and up to date, wants to make a good impression on this young lady. So Sunday afternoon, we go out for a walk and we get down to the river. And as we walk on the side of the river, we're just chatting and, you know, trying to make polite conversation as you do. And um, over the river is a branch of a tree and on the branch of the tree is a rope hanging like a rope swing. And he says, now watch this. I'll show you how to do this. And without any, he runs at the rope. He grabs the rope and swings out over the river. And the girl he's trying to impress is looking at him, very impressed. And as he comes back in, he just slips a few inches on the rope. And suddenly, these new shoes catch the water like water skis. And the bottom six inches of his legs go in the water. And he ends up on the bank dripping wet from about the ankles down. Oh, dear. Well, the rest of us that were there, a few other people there, I think this, this girl's brother was there, we're all cracked up laughing on the bank. None of us are going to help him, even if he asks for it. Um, you know, he knows how to do best, so we, we're just laughing. So he rings the trousers out, and because we're laughing, he decides to have another go. I mean, I, can, I know I do this. I don't need any... any Runs at the rope, grabs it, out he goes, all the way out, but his hands had got wet on the bottom of his trousers, and right at the furthest point, he slipped completely off the rope. <laughs> and he went into the river, and he disappeared. All you could see was the top of a few bits of hair floating on the water. He was completely submerged in the middle of a brand new clothes. Well, he certainly made a lasting impression on the girl. Um, I'm not sure it's the impression he wanted to make, but he really did. I don't need any help. I know best. I can do this. So he gets out the river, dripping wet, drenched, brand new clothes, shoes, a whole lot to squelch his way home and change. It's hard to admit we need help, especially in things we're all supposed to be good at. Life, marriage, bringing up children, money. We as people tend to be reluctant and resistant to that. Men, can I say to you, especially men. Can I hear an amen from all the women to that one? <laughs> there you go, outnumbered men. We tend to resist calling in help. And usually when we do, it's too late. Now, we probably as people carry this idea inside us that we can all bring about change in our lives if we need to. We just need to be a bit more determined and a bit more applied, and we can do it. If, if I really put my mind to it, I could do it. And then I see all those bicycles and rowing machines in people's garages, all those gym memberships that after the first month have got no stamps on the card, all those diet books that we, we had last year and we were really going to follow, or those fitness books, or whatever it may be. We tell ourselves we can do this without help, but the evidence doesn't always back us up. Now, maybe we can get some help from the experts. So I went to um, a site I like to read up on, a magazine called Psychology Today, and I thought I'll get some help from here to help us today. I'm going to read you the best quote from the leading expert that they have on changing your life without any help, or changing your life in general. This is what he said. 
I have spent the last 35 years writing books about change, interviewing people about their experiences, researching the features that are most associated with significant transformations that endure over time. And here's my conclusion. How do you change? I don't know. <laughs> and neither do you. Neither does anyone else I've ever encountered. It is indeed a mystery, a process so complex and multidimensional that it defies understanding. There you are. That's the best that psychology can offer us today. They don't know how we change as people. Well, I'll tell you how you change as people. If the Son of God sets you free, you will be truly free indeed. I feel like writing that verse out and sending it to him. I'm not sure what the impact it will have on his life. But that is the truth. That is the eternal Bible truth in the face of all that research and opinion and facts. He needs help. Everyone needs help. Can we admit it? I've uh, also talked to people who work over years with those who counsel and work with people with, you know, strong behavior patterns that are a problem to them or addictions and so on. And this is what they say. They say when you're working with such people, there are two common features. Number one, they uh, frequently deny how bad it is. That's truth number two we looked at. And they insist they have it under control and they could give it up if they really wanted to. And truth number three, they don't need any help. People who are stuck in those situations regularly tell the people they're working with, I, I, I could get on top of it if I really wanted to, and I don't need your help. Wow. I was recently looking through some old notebooks of mine, and I came across a sermon that, um, that was uh, a, from a, a well-known preacher and teacher and author of books in the Christian world, a gracious man, and I remember the sermon extremely well. His name is the Reverend John Stott, if any of you have ever come across his books from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And that's the last century, not this one, for some of you that don't know what there, there was a last century. Um, and he, in this message that I heard him speak, he pointed out why people get so upset when they hear the Christian message. Why people react to it the way the crowd did to Jesus here. And he says this, he says, The pride of the human heart wants not to accept it, but wants to earn uh, God's forgiveness, or at least contribute to it. It takes unbearable humility to contribute nothing. Who's got unbearable humility these days? Certainly not the president I was referring to earlier. Um, he goes on to say the gospel demands holiness as evidence of salvation and a surrender to the lordship of Jesus and his standards of life, living, and behavior. It's free. There's no other way, and it affects the way we live in every way we live. And as a result, that upsets, offends people, and arouses opposition. People don't like to be told these three truths. If anyone is ever going to truly change their nature long term, they need to get to a place where they can say, God, please help me, because I can't do it myself. Jesus wants us to be free. Free in the ways we said earlier. Standing between us and the most incredible inner release and freedom and experience of who God is, an experience of what life can be really like with him, are just three simple truths that are in this passage. Number one, my opinion isn't what matters. Number two, it's worse than I want to admit. Number three, I need help. Now, if any person in this world can hear those three truths and honestly say them to themselves to God, to their spiritual leaders, to their spouses and their family, to those that they need to say it to, the result is the most incredible change and transformation into inner 
amazing, glorious, incredible freedom. But boy, does it take some humbling to get there. It grates with everything we are as people. I can feel it in me now. Can you feel it in you? Can you feel everything in you dragging you back from really living by those and making those three statements? Because I can. But if we can humble ourselves, the Bible says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives help or kindness or grace to the humble. Anybody want to change today? Anybody want to be free? There's our answers. You are six or seven people away from everybody in the world that you want to contact. And only three truths away from a totally released, totally free life. What's it to be? Slave or free person? Now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today you can. If you've never asked him into your life and said, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I've got too many issues, too many hang-ups, too many hurts, too many habits. I mean, I just cannot clear the decks. I cannot get to the place where my life is where it needs to be. Help me. Jesus is actually worse. See Paul tied up here in the ropes? Actually, I'm even more tied up than that. I've got entangled in things I don't know how to get free of. When I think I'm free of one entanglement, two more come on me. That's how we have to be with God. Admit how bad it is. Admit that sin has got us and that we can't get our own way out. And then we ask Jesus to forgive us. Because he died on a cross, he has the power to break into our lives through dying for us, through shedding his blood, He can release every one of those chains from us. In a moment, the moment we ask him, his power is there to get to work on those chains, to release us from those hurts and habits and hang-ups. We sang it earlier in the song, I don't have time to maintain these regrets because he loves me this much. That's what the truth can do in our lives to set us free. Now, to do that, we need to change our minds and change the way we think about ourselves and about God. And I'm issuing a call today, a call to change your thinking. Does anybody want to change the way they think? Does anybody want to change what goes on here and here? So they understand that these three truths are what we have to be like. You're going to live by them. My opinion isn't what counts at the end of the day. It's worse than I care to admit, but I need to admit it. And I need help, and the only source of that help is Jesus. If you are willing to do that, that's called repentance in Bible terms. It just means change the way you thought about yourself and God and admit you need him. And then ask him, Jesus, come into my heart. Set me free from all of those chains and those cords, that stuff, that sin. Because he died on a cross, because his presence is here with us right now, because he loves us so much, he'll do that for you. Now, Jesus also spoke this sermon to his disciples. And the same thing was true for them. They're in a process. Are you really my disciple? Are you really living in my teaching? Is this where your truth comes from? Or does it come from HBO and Facebook and Instagram and somewhere else? Does the truth of your life come out of my word? Can you live by these three truths as well? Can you change your thinking and apparatus, your mental apparatus to live by this? Because if you can, you will be free indeed. Truly free. So, in a moment, we're going to make a declaration and say this together. You don't have to say it, but if you want to mean it with all your heart, you can. But right now, can we just close our eyes, please? Pray where we're sitting. If you know you're not as free as you need to be, and you're willing to face up to it and ask for help, 
you want Jesus' help, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand up now in God's presence. Jesus, I need you. Come and do for me what I can't do for myself. Get me free of this stuff. Jesus, we are here before you now. You see us standing, and it's it's a way of saying to you, help me, Lord. Lord, we are sorry. It's worse than we wanted to face up to ourselves, before others, and especially before you. I'm sorry, Lord, for having my own view and opinion about this and not really taking yours. It matters to you. Sin and being a slave matters to you. Lord, we pray now. Come to us in this moment and help us. Set us free, Lord. Let this truth burn in our hearts and minds now. The truth that will truly set us free. That you're here to help. And you release us from everything that grips our lives if we will admit it and ask for your help. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if we could just pray together. Again, you don't have to do this, but the opportunity is I'm going to pray a simple prayer and ask you to follow with me. Jesus, today I ask you, come into my heart and life. Forgive me. Set me free. Lord, I admit all these things. It's worse than I care to admit. But now, Lord, I need your help. Come to me. Forgive me and set me free from sin, from habits, hurts, and hang-ups. Amen. Lord, I pray now by the power of your Spirit, you'll be working in our lives and breaking the hold of the things that have gripped us, maybe for months, maybe for years even. Lord, if we've got out of it and slipped back in, if we've fallen back in the pit, right now, Lord, we say, reach in and lift us out of that place and put us back on solid ground. Lord, we declare this forgiveness and healing here today at the altar with Jesus. We sang it earlier. And Lord, we declare today that today is a new day, a day of new beginnings, a day of fresh starts, a day of being washed and set free of chains being broken, of lives being released, of hearts and hurts being healed, of past being wiped and washed away, of lives being cleansed, of futures being rewritten and made new. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today there is a full and free pardon and there is release from every chain. Thank you, Lord. We're no longer slaves, but free men and women when we ask you for your help and we live and hold on to your word and walk faithfully in that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we come to make this declaration now, I pray there will be power in our words and peace from you and help from above on our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, let's just look at the screen for a moment. Let's just say these three truths once more together in this format. Today, I understand and freely admit that my opinion isn't what matters. It's worse than what I want to admit. I need help. Jesus, help. Amen. May God bless you this week. And as you put that into practice through a change of heart and mind, 
and a change of confession, God will show up for you. You'll feel his help and closeness, what we call his grace, his power from above to change the way you think, the way you act, the way you feel, and the way you respond. God will help us this week. That's his promise. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap and thank him for what he's done for us. Amen.